0: Welcome to America's Top Rebbitsons. May this show be for Fu Shalema, for Yeshiahu Yosef Ben Orit, and Malka Yehudis Bat Rivka. I'm so happy to have on today's show Rebbitson Shandy Eisenberg. Rebutin Shandy is a former Bernose Hava Seminary teacher and the previous director of Hanemi Israel Branches. She is the daughter of Rebutin Slavi Young Rice Wolf and the granddaughter of Rebutin Esther Young Rice. She is currently a teacher at Manhattan High School for Girls in New York City, and she continues her family legacy through outreach. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank
1: you. Well, that's, that's quite a load. <laughs> but I will tell you that I I really had the greatest privilege, and I, I still do have the greatest privilege of having been raised by the most incredible mom, by yeah. Rebson Slavi, and of course, Rebson Young-Grace, who, who's no longer with us, but the the opportunities that I had as a child to be raised in a home like I was raised in, and to have the role models that I had has really and so, so formulating in my own life, but it's also so much of what I do and what I teach is continuing that legacy and being able to give it over. Because when, when you grow up with strong, powerful Jewish women yes. who are not afraid of the world and are not afraid to make the difference and are not afraid to get up and, and speak and talk about Hashem, but they're also so feminine. And they also embody the most core Jewish values that we have of of modesty, of what it means to be a Jewish wife, a Jewish mother. That's everything. And that's really the the legacy that I have from from them and that I was privileged to grow up with. So it's, it's my privilege to give that over to teenage girls today in my different teaching opportunities.
0: It's really amazing. It really is. You're right. I mean, your your mother and your grandmother were uh, fantastic role models for all of Klaal Yisrael. Really, really. So it's really amazing. Um, I know that you teach girls about many things. And one of the things that you're very passionate about is teaching modesty in teenage girls. And I want to first start off with what is your definition of modesty and what does modesty look like?
1: So First, I have to say that it's not a popular topic. <laughs> Most people are very, very scared to talk about modesty. When they hear I teach that, they think, oh, no. <laughs> and um, it's scary. It's a scary topic. But I'll tell you why I'm passionate about it. Because, you know, it's a great question, what you're asking. What does modesty mean exactly? And I've heard so many different answers from different people, really many different attempts to answer this. You know, And, and you hear everything from, modesty is about a set of rules it's about the the length of your skirt and it's about pants versus skirt and it's about the sleeve length and it's about tight clothing it's about not being attracting versus being attractive so you you have a lot of that and then you have a lot of the other people come and they say no modesty is so much more than that modesty is about dignity it's about being kate middleton it's about being royalty it's about being you know princess kate and i just think no 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 okay all this is is just wrong because when you try to define it in such a singular way, then you limit it. So when I teach modesty to girls, I like to take a more holistic approach. Okay. And really, it's, it's not an approach that I just made up. It's an approach when you really go back to all the sources in the Torah and you analyze the Torah's perspective on modesty, you'll, you'll find that there's a very holistic approach, meaning you'll be hard-pressed to find in the Torah the one source that this is where modesty comes from. And I challenge girls, what are the sources for modesty? What, where do we learn modesty from? And when you start bringing in the various sources, you realize that the sources all lead to different things. What, am I, what do I mean by this? What am I saying? There's really a five-pronged approach to modesty. Okay. And this is what I mean by a holistic way of looking at it. Modesty has five core sources that it stems from. And I'm going to go through them briefly, what what these five core sources are. So the first source that we have for modesty is the concept of modesty. That's the first place where modesty stems from. And that's the concept of modesty. It means modesty as a middah. It means modesty as a value that we live by. And this, when I I spoke to a certain great, great rabbi about this month, and he said, when it comes to the concept of modesty, there is no difference between a woman who who dresses in a way that is provocative, that catches attention, that's trying to catch the eye and and bring attention to her body. And somebody who makes an affair, who makes a simcha, right? A a celebration in their family. And they're doing it in an ostentatious way that's just meant to pop people's eyes out. Because that's the value of modesty. The concept of modesty is we don't differentiate here between clothing and body. It's a concept. It's a value that we live by. You know, the most obvious source for this would be Hat'snea from a uh, pasuk from Micha, which means Hatznea lechas im elokecha. And I'm going to talk more about that soon. But that means that the person who is a tznua, the tznia's person, he walks with God. And I'm, I'm going to talk about that. But that's number one. The first source is the concept of modesty. All encompassing. It's the way we talk. It's the values we have in our home. It's how we portray ourselves to the outside world. Not just not just clothing or how we dress, but it's so much more. It's how we share our lives with other people. It's how we deal with social media. It's how we talk with our friends. It's when we're sitting at PTA and you know, are we sharing with all the women around us and the fathers around us? what the teacher said about our kids or what's going on in our private life. So that's, that's a concept of modesty. That's number one. Number two is a concept called Dat Moshe and Dat Yehudis. Dat Moshe and Dat Yehudis, the laws of Moses and the laws of Yehudis. And this, I'm giving this in a very, <laughs> very, very brief explanation. But this is sourced from the Talmud. And basically what this means is the laws of modesty that are either of biblical nature, that they come from the Torah and they're biblical in nature. And there's, you know, a few, very few, but there are laws that are biblical in nature when it comes to modesty in terms of a woman and how she dresses or acts. And then that yehudis means the mode of conduct that's accepted for a woman in terms of societal norms. And these can be the concept of things that come from the rabbis or just the community's certain standards the normative standards in the community for the way a woman is supposed to act or dress that's considered modest conduct or modest dress and it's interesting i'm not i'm not going to go into it but when the talmud talks about these two ideas das Moshe and das Yehud, so these are sort of it, it's it's not the expectations but it's how a woman is supposed to dress is supposed to conduct herself to go according to the laws of modesty it doesn't really differentiate between the two so what we have from the torah and what we have in, in terms of what's considered um rabbinical in nature so the same ramifications for a woman go together under the same guidelines whether it's biblical in nature or rabbinical in nature and this is another source that we find as motion does it is the third source that we find is actually laws that are much more specific to men it's in terms of when and where men can say certain brachot certain blessings and the laws of Kriyat shema in front of women who aren't dressed properly and the gemara talks about this when it comes to the man saying blessings because he might come to be distracted if a woman isn't isn't wearing clothing he might come to be distracted to be distracted and so therefore he you know can't be learning certain certain texts or he can say things like the shema or brachot in front of a woman who's not who's not covered certain parts of her body so over here there's a discussion about certain certain parts of the body that a woman is expected to cover, okay? So that's the third one. And then the fourth one is, um, the fourth one is three biblical prohibitions. Okay. they're Biblical in nature, three biblical prohibitions that we have in the Torah. And that is, which means in front of a blind person not to place a stumbling block, which we really understand as meaning, that we, we shouldn't cause other people to sin. That's the way the Talmud speaks about it. And then it speaks about the chukoseim lo solechil, which means not to walk, there's a biblical prohibition, not to walk in the ways of the Gentiles. And the last one is lo yilbash, which can have ramifications when it comes to dress, when it comes to you know, modest conduct or, or clothing. And that means that a man is not supposed to, it, it basically means cross-gender dress, that a man is not supposed to wear the clothing of a, woman and a woman is not supposed to wear the clothing of a man. So here you have different places where you actually see there's different sources over here. And why is this important? Let me explain why this is, why this is important. Okay. Because, you know, let's, let's go back to this example of which means that the value of means that I am walking together with God. The Maharal explains this in such a beautiful way. He says, what does it mean that a a modest person is walking with God? it says a modest person is walking with god alone meaning he's living his life she's living her life for god alone she's not living her life based on what society will think she's not living her life based on what the guys on the streets going to think she's not living her life thinking what's all my community members going to think about me what is is my wedding that I'm making, is it is it enough? Am I enough? You know, what are my posts like? Are people going to like me when I'm post, uh, because of what I'm posting? Are people going to think that the dinner I made is good enough? Is people going to think that the vacation I took with my husband good enough? So the morale explains that what Sniots means as a value, as a concept is that I have a sense of innerness, that I, I, I live my life for me and for my relationship with God. I'm not worried about what so many other people are thinking. And that creates a sense of security. It creates a sense of innerness and developing this inner world, which our girls today especially are so, it's so foreign to them. They, they, they're not developed. They don't have an inner world, right? They, they, they really don't know what's going on inside of them. And they really don't know about their their Kochas hanesash which means all the, the different faculties of their nishama and of their personality and of the gifts that they were given, the God-given gifts that they can really go out and make a difference and change the world, but they're not aware, they have zero awareness. They have zero awareness because we're so busy with what other people are going to think of me. And the concept of modesty is the concept of developing that inner world, developing that innerness, developing that, that sense of peace, okay? So we ask, you know, we ask questions, and I ask questions to to my students all the time. Can you do something just for yourself? And this is something that wouldn't, it's not just a question for teenage girls. You know, you can turn to your friends who are in their 20s or 30s or 40s. Are you cool with doing something just for yourself? If you couldn't publicize it, if you couldn't post it, if you couldn't share it with the world, you know, is that good enough? Does that give it value? If right. you can't have other people recognize it, does that give it value? And that's exactly the antithesis of what sneeze is. Sneeze is about having value that comes from within yourself. That's what the mara explains is the concept of sneeze. And and going back to this, you know, approach where we have a holistic approach to seeing is coming from different places. This is why I love the approach of understanding the sources that there's a concept and there's also the laws and there's also the source in the Talmud and there's also the biblical prohibitions because if you're just going to say, you know, and this is, I've seen I've seen women, I've seen Rebison stand up and they say, look at, like I said before, look at Kate Middleton, look at the royalty, look at, you know, go, go look at her and that's how you should be. You know, not every girl is a Kate Middleton. Not every girl is going to look like her or have her pastor or just her natural class. And, and does that make that girl immodest? No. You <laughs> say that she's immodest because she, you know, I mean, can we see that? Some girls will, will have a spunkier look. They'll be a tomboy. They'll have frizzy hair. Is that immodest, right? Because she doesn't have that look of what you're picturing as dignity. So is there something about dignity? There is. There are there are certain laws that the Torah dictates that a woman should try her best to, to follow certain halachot. And when it comes to halacha, we, we are careful. And this, the Torah says, creates the dignity of a woman when we wear a skirt, when we cover our neckline, when we don't. You know, there are even certain laws when it comes to socializing with men for women that are considered under the halachot of tz'yod. So there are certain laws that the Torah is going to give us that retain a dignity. But it's not, it's not just the dignity. It's also the concept. It's a, also about having a sense of innerness. It's a sense of, of uh, I'm with God, and I'm not so worried about what other people think. And let's say a girl is worried about what other people think, but she, she's careful with the laws. There's value in that too. So when we look at it as at a holistic approach, first of all, we don't get lost in seeing as being any one thing over the other. And we're also able to give credit where credit's due. If a girl's not covering her knees perfectly the way, you know, her school would like her to, or as a mother, you're looking at your daughter and you're thinking, wow, she doesn't really reflect the laws of modesty that I grew up with or that I'd like, but this kid of yours really has a sense of innerness and she's developing the sense of she does things for herself and she's not looking for attention. She's modeling certain aspects of sniff and you have to give her credit for that. It's not all or nothing. It's an interesting perspective. I like that. It's a very, I mean, wow.
0: Okay, there's a lot to take in and it's so rich and it's so deep and it's so powerful. And it's so true because especially teenagers, teenagers are they're struggling to find out who they are. They're still developing. They're still really, really trying to gain their inner sense of self. Um, so I wanted to see if maybe, I kind of have two questions here. What can we do to help our teenage daughters gain an inner sense of self?
1: first of all, we, we need to help them realize that they're enough. Okay. Just the fact that God created them, that they're in this world. Every single person has unique abilities, has unique talents, and we have to help our teenagers develop them. We, we can't let them get sucked into this culture where they just, sit around all day, doing nothing, waiting for that ping on their phone, waiting for the like, waiting for the admiration. It, is, it, it sucks the life and the creativity out of a person. So if you see that your child is struggling with this, come up with some idea. You know, invite your child to volunteer with you for something. Plan a, a Hanukkah party for your family and tell your child that she's so talented, she's going to be in charge of planning the game for all the cousins. No, know, maybe she could do all the cookies, maybe give her an opportunity if she's a little bit older, uh, you know, it's such, it's been such a hard week. You make Shabbos, right? I'm giving you some recipes. I'm giving you free rein of the kitchen and it might not, it might not be so smooth and things might fall apart and she might go through dozens of eggs because she got the recipe wrong or whatever it is, but you're giving your child a chance to develop herself, to find her talents and to, to sort of just develop this inner world. And that's that's what the goal is. The goal is to develop this inner world and this confidence. At the same time, amongst these challenges are the challenges that, you know, and I'm sure you've realized that the media has given such a strong sense to Right, so what the, would you say about this? So even, oh, for sure. Well, the
0: media, I mean, everywhere you look, the billboards, the magazines, the, the ads, it's all, the more scantily clad you are, the more desirable you are, the more wanted you are. And it's a really, really, really strong message, especially to young girls. They don't, they don't know any better. They don't know any different. And it's, it's very difficult for them because they see that and that's their role model. And they think that's what they have to aspire to.
1: Absolutely. And this is what our girls want. I mean, this yes. is what we all want. We all want to be wanted. Yes. as women as the the feminine nature is that we want to be desired and we want to be wanted and this is healthy and this is normal and this is the way god created us as women he created he created us with the desire to be wanted to yes. be appreciated to be valued and so the girls want this and so first of all as as mothers as you know fathers as teachers we have to give them the feeling that they're wanted That's first of all, because otherwise they're going to be looking to be wanted in other places. So as, as parents, as educators, we have to make our kids feel wanted. That means when they want to talk to us, we have to be ready to listen. That means when they're interested in going out with us, we go out with them and we give them our attention. So that's first of all. But second of all, this idea that, you know, media is creating this picture where you look at the billboards, you look at the advertisements that pop up, you look at the stories you look at the Netflix series and it's all about the more you're desirable. Like you said, the more scantily clad you are, the more provocative you are, the more you have worth. Which our logic tells us is so far from the truth. You know what type of worth is that? At the end of the day, that's the feeling it evokes, and not just in teenagers. It evokes this feeling in many adults as well. Yes. So I would say if you're in a position to guide a person, a younger person, maybe a teenager, whether you're a parent or you're an educator or you're a friend or an aunt, I would say to here and there, and not too much because this could get, it could just get too much, but here and there, if you have an ongoing relationship with someone, challenge the thinking. You know, you're together with your daughter, you're together with a student and you see an ad or, you know, some conversation about a, a Netflix series comes up. And the girl involved is someone who, who does things that are provocative and who, you know, is very immodest in nature, but she, you know, the whole story is about her and her life and how everyone's going after her. So challenge your team's thinking. When they're ooing and aahing over a picture, ask your team: do you think she's really happy? Do you think this girl is really happy? This girl who is dressing for other people, like what other people tell her to dress, who is living her every moment based on how many people are going to give me the accolades, how many people are going to affirm my body, my weight, my size, my figure, the tilt of my head. Do you, do you think that this young woman is happy? Right. And, and and start the conversation, start the conversation with your teen and see what happens. You know? Ask your teen, what happens if she gains some weight? Right? Yes. What happens? What happens? And she decides one day that she wants to be respected for her mind. What's going to happen? Is What's going to happen if them? she wants a guy to take her seriously? Yeah. How do you think they'll, they'll relate to her? And so if we just here and there ask these questions, we can already get our young girls to start thinking. You know, I remember once um, a girl was telling me, she was a very beautiful, beautiful 19-year-old girl. And she walked into a designer store. And she was ordering a gown there and the designer looked at her and he said, wow, you're so beautiful. I I would love for you to model for us. And she said to him, oh, thank you. (laughs) And then she said "But you know, it's against my religion. We don't uh, you know, it's not really who we are. We don't model this. This isn't the business that we go into. And he looked at her and he said, smart, because in our industry, we use you for two or three years and then we spit you out. You're 18 years old now, 19 years old, by the time you're t- you would be 20 or 21, you would be done. We'd be done with you. And this is what he told her, you know, and I'll tell girls this and I'll say, you think it's such a glamorous life being just lauded and valued for your body, for your figure. No. It's you know, such a just short shelf life. And there's so much within you that you can develop that can be lasting. You know, people who give over to the world their their minds and their talents, that, that doesn't have a three-year shelf life. That can be developed and developed and developed and channeled and channeled. And there's always more and more and more creativity to build up over there.
0: It's so interesting. You know, I really love the, the way that you talk about, about building a girl's sense of self. And all those um, questions that you were asking when you were talking about the Netflix series, those are very thought-provoking questions. Like those are really smart questions just to get the wheels turning, to get the girls thinking a little bit.
1: Thinking, who are they, who are they saying that for? Are they? How many moments in their life are they really living for themselves? Right. But I would say also that- They're still girls and they're still teenage girls. Yes. And they still have to feel beautiful. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so it can't all be about the mind and the, you know, the talents that you have. Uh, girls have to feel beautiful. So whether that means you, you know, you buy them beautiful clothing or you tell them that they're beautiful, it, it doesn't have to be obsessive. It doesn't have to be all the time, but they should still hear the words of affirmation. You're beautiful. You're enough from, from parents, from people in their life. And, um, and definitely we, we can not dismiss their, their needs to whether it's getting their hair done or a manicure. I'm not saying every whim has to be catered to, but, but we can't dismiss it. We can't dismiss that they they want to look good and, and looking good is equated with them to feeling good. And that's very important for a teenager. Right, for sure. Yeah, it's def- it's definitely a balance,
0: the, the, the inner and the outer, it's definitely a balance. And, I, and we spoke for a little a bit about the inner. I just wanna to touch up, upon the outer. I have a very interesting question because you know, a lot of times a, a teenager does want to dress more modestly. Maybe she does want to cover her neckline or wear a skirt that's a little bit longer than her friends are wearing. But when her friends are, they want to dress cool, or they want to wear contemporary fashions, which are maybe a little bit more revealing than she would have liked. You know, acceptance is a very big part of being a teenager. So there's a struggle there. Like, I want to dress modestly, but my friends are dressing like this. Like, wh- how can we help a teenager navigate
1: that? It's a real struggle. It's yes. Real- when when I get a question like that, I always think about this moment in time when I was living in Israel. I lived there for ten plus years as a married as a married woman. I started off my family there, and when I lived there, I used to arrange a lot of my grandmother Rebbe's and young Races. I, I arranged her speeches and her events, and I was teaching for for a couple of years. I was teaching a group of young women in Tel Aviv. They were women who were living in Tel Aviv who had come many from from Britain, and from South Africa, a few from America, it was a group of internationals who were living in Tel Aviv. And these were, they were wonderful, wonderful women, young, young women, young professionals. And they were, many of them were in the business of looking to get married. <laughs> you know, some of them, you know, over the years that I lived there, many, many of them got married, they they married Tel Aviv boys. And, but, um, but they were very, they they moved to Tel Aviv they moved to Israel so that they could meet a nice Jewish boy and start a life there and they were these beautiful young ladies and they dressed so immodestly I mean they weren't coming from religious homes they were they were coming from either traditional or irreligious homes but we were studying together for a while and they were growing in certain mitzvahs and they were growing in their observance to a certain extent and they, they just, they dress, I mean, you know, the Telviv, those sun-kissed arms and long legs. And So I remember I was, I was doing this event for my grandmother. She came in from the States and she gave a lecture in Telviv, one of the synagogues there. And I invited all these women to come. And my grandmother met them and she loved them and she gave them blessings and she hugged them and she spoke with them and they're crying. And afterwards, when the event was over, I left with my grandmother and we got into the taxi. And I said to her, she said, oh, they're, they're wonderful. I said, I know I enjoy them so much. I said, but I just, I don't know what to do the way they dress. They just, they dress so immodestly. And my grandmother shook her head and she said, you do nothing do nothing, because in their mind, this is how they're catching a husband. In their minds, they need this. Now, she didn't address the point whether it was right or wrong to catch a husband this way. That that wasn't the point right now. You know, and it wasn't even the point that this is the healthiest way to catch a husband. Forget what the Torah says that this is the right way to catch a husband. <laughs> it might not even be a healthy way to catch a husband that, that makes for a lasting marriage. But she said, if you're going to attack the way they dress right now, it's a personal attack. Because in their mind, they, they need this. In their mind, this is... This is what they're doing in order to secure a guy in their life, and it's going to feel very personal to them and it taught me such a lesson that when we speak to people about modesty, it can't be a personal attack. right? And it's the same thing for our teens. In their mind, this is, it's a currency. If they're dressing cool, it's a currency. Like I said before, teens need to feel wanted. They need to feel valued. Now, it's not healthy to feel wanted and valued from the way you dress. But in their mind right now, this is what they need. So we can, we can educate them. And we can give them tools, and and those tools would be having having open discussions, even from a young age. You know, when you read a book, when you talk about a film, when you see the media, when you you know have discussions just about what really gives value, what really gives acceptance to a person. That at the end of the day, teens are still teens, and they cannot they they cannot be personally attacked. They cannot come to a point of confrontation we have to be so so careful when it comes to them that they cannot feel like when you're attacking the way they're dressing or if you're telling them often that this is too cool they're just going to feel personally attacked and we really have to be careful that's not to say that we can never give our teens guidelines we're the parents and just like we have boundaries in our home you don't come home past a certain hour or you know, you don't leave a mess on the floor if that's your boundary in your home, or some people have rules in their home that when you come into the door, you take off your shoes. So different homes have different rules and different boundaries. And if this is something that's important to you, you can make a boundary. In, in our family, we wear skirts that cover our knees. Or in our family, we don't wear coats that cost $1,000. If, if this is your boundary and this is your rule, and then it becomes your boundary and your rule and if your teen it comes down and she's wearing a skirt that's not covering her knees or a very short skirt and this is your this is your rule in your house and you cover your knees in your house and this is part of your your family and, and you could just say to her without getting into the niceties of it the explanations the as we say the hashkafa the, the concept the values just just oh sweetie that that skirt doesn't cover your knees and we you know, we we cover our knees in our house so so just here, give it to me, change it to that. If, if you're missing a black then we'll just go out and we'll pick up a new one that, that, you know, you must have grown. Very clinical, very straight. This is her boundary and this is her rule. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not in denial. There are times where that can be a confrontation. There are times where it gets to the point where teenagers will push back against the boundaries that happens. And that's that's, that's another discussion. Then a person really has to evaluate how much pushback is necessary here. What's my teen going through? How much struggle is in her life? How much pushback do we have? How much confrontation do we have as a mother daughter? But there are there is a level of a relationship between a parent and a child where there are just certain rules in this house and this is what we keep. And modesty can be one of these rules. Oh, that's, that's not something we do. Finish. Without a confrontation. But if it becomes confrontational, that's something else and a person has to evaluate how, how much am I willing to, to push back on this issue? And in most cases, it's not wise to do much pushback. They're teenagers, they're gonna, they're gonna grow, they're going to go through some things and we have to be careful because like I said, it could be a personal attack. It could be a personal attack.
0: Right, they're very sensitive. Teenagers are very, very sensitive. Wow, okay.
1: That, that was amazing. <laughs> That's why the education is so important and, and giving over the values, not even in such a personal way, but just pointing out to your team when you see a woman who you think embodies modesty, wow, I love the way she dresses. I love the way she talks. I think that woman is so beautiful, you know, and, and being a role model yourself, you know, if, if people are talking about somebody or something and you say, you know, I don't think this is a conversation that I need to be a part of. Right. And you can throw out a line. You can say that I, I don't feel the need to talk about other people or I don't feel the need to share details about myself.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, being a role model is definitely an important aspect of it as well, for sure, for sure. Okay, <laughs> it's so much to absorb. It's so beautiful. Everything I said is so beautiful and so poignant. I'm trying to absorb it all. I'm actually going to use it because I have a teenage daughter. So this all applies directly to me, so... Um, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate you being here and for taking the time to join us on America's Top Rebbitzins. Um, we hope this class was indeed a refuah shalema for Malka Yehuda Scott Rifka, and Yeshiahu Yosef Ben-Orit. And if anyone in the, in the audience has any questions or comments about the podcast, or if anyone would like to sponsor a future podcast, please email us at atrebbitzins at gmail.com. That's A-T-R-E-B-B-E-T-Z-I-N-S at gmail.com. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah.